Well, our text this evening comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 16, and verses 8 to 11. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Well, today we remember Pentecost, of course, and Pentecost means 50th, the 50th day from the resurrection, when the Holy Spirit came down in mighty power in Jerusalem, and the period of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was launched. The last days, the time between our Lord's resurrection his ascension to heaven and seating at the right hand of the Father and his second coming. These are the days we are living in, the last days. And the Spirit came, of course, the Holy Spirit came as a fulfillment of God's word, God's promise. His promise through Joel that we heard in the reading and the promise of the Lord Jesus as we hear in our text before going to the cross. And he came, the Holy Spirit came and acted exactly as God's word had predicted. And there's just a little message, it's not a little one, it's an important message. As we go on, this reminds us how important it is to read, to meditate, to hear God's word. This is how we come to know God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, to understand his work, his plan, his will, and our place within his great plan. Once we deviate from his word, we're in dangerous, terribly dangerous territory. We'll have the wrong God. We'll have the wrong salvation. We'll have the wrong ideas. And we'll put others in real danger and jeopardy. Well, to come back to the text, and in John 16, now then, this is part of the Lord speaking with his disciples, of course, the night uh, before he went to the cross. And we see him shepherding the disciples. This is the good shepherd, you see. He is facing the cross. He is facing taking the sin of the world on himself. But yet he is shepherding them. He is comforting that let not your hearts be troubled. And they're in dread, of course. They're losing him. He's told them he's going and he's going to the Father. But he comforts, he shepherds them with the promise of another comforter. Exactly like Jesus. Not a different type, but the same. Another comforter. And he says that it's profitable for them that he returns, goes back to heaven, and then the Spirit will come. He will remain with them. He will dwell in them. He will lead them in the truth. He will witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will empower them to witness, and will witness with them. 
And that's wonderful, isn't it? This is what we read at the end of the 15th chapter. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And this is what the Apostles said. This is what we read then in Acts chapter 5, verse 32. And we are his witnesses to these things. They're talking of the resurrection, the ascension, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. We are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. They were witnesses, but he was witnessing alongside and empowering them. And this is so important for us today. We have the same promise of power and help from the spirit of truth. So we must plead for it. We must ask for it. We must keep on asking so that the word that we proclaim will be in power. Not our own power, not the power of persuasion, not the power of man, but the power of the Holy Spirit. We must witness, of course, with the same testimony as the apostles, exactly the same testimony. That is the content of the New Testament, of course. He led them to write down the New Testament, which was building on the old. So we need the Word of God, the Bible, and the Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, we see how Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit was literally fulfilled. The text that we have, it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And the first word that Jesus uses is the word convict. He will convict. Now, this implies a sense of cross-examination, if you like, to gain a conviction, of course. Imagine a courtroom for a minute, and the, the Holy Spirit uh, is the crown prosecutor, if you will. And he demonstrates with arguments that the defendant, the person of the world, is guilty. Guilty of sin against God, especially rejecting God's Son. He also shows that the Son is righteous, as he has returned and been welcomed back by the Father. He also shows that there will be judgment. There is judgment. And that his great enemy, the ruler of this world, is already judged and condemned. So the hearer, the hearer of the gospel, he's the defendant. And if you like, he's the jury as well. Because the spirit convicts and convinces. As uh, one in court would convince the jury with arguments. And we also in this word have a sense of an expose. Light is being shed on essential truths. There's a revealing, a making bare, an unveiling of these truths that are so essential 
Now, Satan's influence is always to hide them, to deny them, to belittle them, to tell us, oh, they're irrelevant today. That's how he goes about it. Satan also, of course, delights in accusing us of our sin, leading to condemnation. He's led us to sin in the first place, and then he accuses us and says, it's finished, you've got no hope at all. But the aim of the Holy Spirit is not to condemn, it's to convict, to bring to repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, which brings forgiveness, a new life, and God's seal of approval. And the world, the Lord Jesus says, the world will be convicted. Well, this is the realm of Satan, who's called the ruler of this world. If you look on a map, or an atlas, or a globe, you can't see it, you can't point it out. It's a spiritual domain. And it includes people under the rule of the prince of this world. And of course, that's all of us by nature. That's where we all are by nature. But the gospel of Jesus Christ transfers us. What a transfer. This time of year, normally, we'd be thinking of transfers of soccer players and rugby players and how much were they going to be paid for the transfer. Well, think of this that the believer in Jesus, the Christian, he's been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from the rule of darkness, to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And the transfer fee was the blood of the Son of God. We've been transferred. But by nature, we were part of that world, the world in darkness. And the Spirit's work is to convict and to convince those that are in the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And notice now, on the day of Pentecost, they include religious people. Don't think that the world means outside of the chapel or the church. No, no, it includes those that are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must see that clearly. And it includes Jews, Gentiles, all types, of course. And the first uh, uh, truth now then is that he will convict of sin. The evil, the fault, the shame of man's rebellion against God. His thanklessness of not loving God, of not believing God. And that this is serious. This is deadly. And he mentions especially, he shows especially and he argues the sin of rejecting God's Son, the Messiah. It's the sin that embraces all others. Until we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we can't be free of sin. It's impossible. It shows the evil, the evil nature of sin then, in not believing God's goodness, his good plans for us and his love for us. We see it in the Garden of Eden. We see it with Adam and Eve. They didn't believe. They were blinded. They were influenced. They didn't believe God's goodness in what he told them and the limits and the parameters that he gave. No, they didn't believe he had the best 
in mind for them. And we see the same in anyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. They reject God's goodness and God's love. And those who reject the Saviour are anybody that don't come to him and cling to him as their personal Lord and Saviour. And this sin, of course, will lead to damnation. It will deny us forgiveness. It will deny us God's rest, his delightful rest for the soul and bring ruin and loss. You could say that unbelief, and this unbelief, is the root of sin. We can never be free until it's removed. I know a lot of people these days are going to the garden. Uh, the gardens are looking better than ever because of the lockdown. And I don't know if you've had uh, the, the situation of trying to get rid of some weeds that are taking over. Maybe they always, well, in my experience, they grow better than anything else. And you can cut them back, but that's no good because they come again stronger than before. You've got to get to the root, haven't you? You've got to kill the root or get it up from the root. And it's the same with sin and unbelief, and especially rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And this Peter says on the day of Pentecost, he says this, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And this is a word today for everyone who knows of the Lord Jesus. And we pray, we pray for the witness of the Holy Spirit to convict and to convince people nowadays of their sin, their thanklessness to God, their rebellion against God, rejecting his goodness and his good plans for them. God's wonderful gift to the world in Jesus Christ. And we must always aim at this when we preach the gospel, when we share the gospel, however we share, we must show this. We must convict by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you that are hearing this evening, dear hearer, have you received God's gift? Have you believed in Messiah Jesus? Have you come to him? Have you clung to him? Are you in Christ? Have you called upon him? When we are in an emergency, when something goes badly wrong, we phone 999, of course. And we can call on the name of the Lord by prayer. Anytime, any place we can call. And whoever calls will be saved. And secondly, he will uh, convict of righteousness. The world, Israel's leaders, of course, through the Romans, the world now then had condemned Jesus as being unrighteous, a blasphemer, one who deserved to be prosecuted, to be crucified. And of course, this was completely and utterly untrue. A complete contradiction 
of the truth. Because Peter says in his sermon, God had approved Jesus. And this is essential to remember. In our reading, it said he was attested. In the King James, approved. And we remember that in Jesus' ministry. Uh, God spoke twice directly from heaven in his baptism, in the transfiguration. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Oh, what an approval. What a seal of approval. And then, as Peter says, there were the signs, the wonders, the miracles that God worked through him. And then we have the resurrection from the dead, the ascension to him, the acceptance home in heaven. And we know he's got there. We know he's in heaven. We know he's at the right hand of the Father because the Spirit has come. What a seal of approval. I read recently of a vitabiotic company by the name of Perfectil. There are others, of course. And they were given a special award in 2018 by Her Majesty the Queen for innovation. What a seal of approval. <laughs> Imagine you can put that in your advertisement. An award from Her Majesty the Queen. A royal approval. Well, God raised Jesus, you see, welcomed him. To heaven. He fulfilled the promise of the Spirit, whom he, Jesus, would be authorized to send. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And this is what Peter refers to in verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16, says that God's Son was vindicated, shown to be righteous by the Spirit. Jesus was himself and is righteous, the righteous one. He was whom he said he was. But also, of course, in his righteousness, Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of God's law. His life was righteous. His death fulfilled all the shadows of the sacrifices and ceremonies of the Old Testament law to make man right with God. Now, they were only shadows. And you had especially animals that were sacrificed. And they had to be perfect. They had to be spotless. Perfect animals. And that was just a, a shadow, of course, a type of the Lamb of God. Well, the Lord Jesus gave his righteous life as an atonement for sin, to deal with the sin of his people, to pay for it, to take it away, to make up for it. He is the Lamb of God without blemish, without spot. And as Jesus has gone to the Father, it's evident, it's obvious that God has accepted the Lord Jesus, has accepted his righteousness and his death 
in our place. What does that mean? Well, therefore, there is forgiveness and righteousness for all who believe and trust in Jesus and his sacrifice for them. There's a royal seal of approval for us in him. We look at a few verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter, Acts 2, 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes. He, he dwells with us. He's promised for us the seal of approval. It's as if God is saying, I'm well pleased with you. You're approved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his righteousness. Well, this evening, can you see Jesus' righteousness? He was not a deceiver. He was not a blasphemer. Nothing could be further away from the truth. Have you got God's approval? the royal seal of approval in the Lord Jesus Christ by repenting and trusting him as Saviour and Lord. This is his promise for us. And finally, uh, the Holy Spirit, said the Lord Jesus, will convict of judgment. Literally, the word means separation. Separation which will lead then, of course, to condemnation. And we see this when the Lord Jesus speaks of judgment. He speaks of separating the sheep from the goats or the wheat and the tares or the weeds. God will separate those who remain in their sin from the righteous and from themselves. And from himself, sorry. Those in their sin will be condemned with the prince and the ruler of this world, Satan. He is judged. He is condemned already. And we can follow this through the scriptures. I'll give you some verses, starting with the book of Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. One would be born of a woman would crush the serpent's head. He is condemned. It's there. It's prophesied. It's predicted there, even in the Garden of Eden. And then uh, John 12, 31, as Jesus is nearing to the time of the cross, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And that's what he was going to do as he went to the cross. And the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. On the cross, of course. 
What happened on the cross? He paid for the sin of his people. He endured hell on the cross so that he said it is finished. He tasted and conquered death. So there's complete victory. There's a complete crushing of the serpent's head. And of course, it's a, it's a picture in the verse of the victory procession. It was a big thing with the Romans to come through the Ark of Triumph, of course, and to come when they'd gained a victory in battle and there'd be a long procession of those that had been captured and defeated. And that's what we see on the cross by the work of the Lord Jesus. Death, hell, sin have been conquered and vanquished with Satan himself. And Peter says on the day of Pentecost, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And we have the quote from the psalm, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yes, they'll be underfoot. And as we go to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 10, we have the final judgment. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. That is the final execution of judgment on the ruler of this world, but also on all that are still in his grip and under his rule, all that are still in their sin. So the apostles gave a warning. We read it at the end of our reading this evening. They were warning people to flee, to save themselves from the world of unbelief and darkness, from this perverted generation, the rule of Satan and sin. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. We must tell people, abandon ship. Your ship is sinking. If you're still in your sins, you might as well be on the Titanic. Your ship is going down and it's time to abandon ship. I don't know if you remember Hurricane Katrina in 2008 that caused so much damage in New Orleans. And these were the words of the mayor of New Orleans just before the hurricane uh, came. People weren't taking it seriously, you see. They weren't leaving their homes. They weren't evacuating. You should be scared. You should be worried. Get yourselves out of here as soon as possible. They weren't taking it seriously. And we must say the same. Maybe you are hearing and listening this evening and you're not taking your sin seriously, your relationship to God, the salvation of your soul. If you're in your sins, you've got to get out of them. If you're in the kingdom of Satan, that is, if you're not in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must get out. That's the message. That's the message constantly. Uh, we hear in the book of Acts, we go to the next chapter after Pentecost, Acts 3, 19. 
Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that delightful? It's not just get out, but come to something that's so much better. Come to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Come to the abundant, eternal, everlasting life that is in him. Rest. Come to have rest and refreshing from the strain of seeking happiness, contentment, fulfillment in your life without Jesus Christ. Satan will promise you anything in the world but the Lord Jesus. And then he'll let you down. Come to be refreshed. Come to have real rest for your soul in Jesus Christ. Relief, restoration, being made new. There's a program on television called The Repair Shop. People bring old family heirlooms often that are dear to them, but they have broken. They're not in good repair and they don't work. And they have experts in this repair shop. And they take them on and they renew them. They transform them so that they're made as new. And that's what happens when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We come in our state of sin and ruin and misery. We're lost and he restores us. We have the promise of being repaired and restored until one day we'll be even in the image of the Lord Jesus himself. Not the image of Adam, the image of the last Adam, the Lord Jesus. Well, the results on the day of Pentecost were that many were cut in their hearts. They were pierced in their hearts. Many repented and were baptized, around 3,000. They believed in the heart and they confessed with the mouth. They experienced that renewing and refreshing in the Lord Jesus. The Spirit, through the apostles, had convinced and convicted them. Not only had they heard in their ears and in their minds, but they'd been cut and convicted in their heart. Others, of course, we must remember, and you read through the book of Acts, others refused the gospel, others rejected it. Well, what about you that are listening this evening? Have you been convicted? Have you been convinced by the Holy Spirit? You must repent. It's God's command. It's not a choice that we're giving you. It's not do it if you want. It's God's command to everywhere, everyone everywhere to repent and to trust and to accept his son. Have you seen something of the evil of your son, of your sin, especially, especially rejecting God's wonderful gift in his son, his gift of eternal life, his gift in the Messiah, to be for us a prophet, a priest who gave himself for us, a king to rule us and guide us safely forever. How can you reject such a gift? Can you see that Jesus is righteous? Evidently God's son, evidently the Messiah, Jesus Christ the righteous. But can you see also that his righteousness is for us who trust in him? 
God's acceptance, God's seal of approval is for us in the Lord Jesus and in him alone, nowhere else. And it comes by calling. We heard the verse quoted from Joel, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can you see that Satan is condemned? He's already judged. If I may say, he's finished. Christ has crushed his head, paid for the sin of his people. He's faced hell. He's conquered death. The ruler of this world is going to be cast aside. He will be cast aside in hell forever and ever before long. Staying in his camp is utter folly and madness and wrong. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we thank the Lord uh, for his word to us uh, this evening. We give thanks for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who writes the law of God on the hearts of men. He is the one that gives us a new heart, a new life in Jesus Christ. We're grateful that as God's church, we can be witnesses with the Holy Spirit. Let's keep praying and praying and more for the power of the Spirit in our day. Let's proclaim, let's share the gospel as we can, in all ways we can, but nothing but the testimony of the apostles, God's word, the New Testament built on the old, reaching out and pleading all the time for the Spirit's power. Let's pray that in our day again, many will be convicted, convinced in their hearts and repent Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom and to the everlasting life he has for us. In his name and for his glory. Amen. Well, our final hymn uh, today and this evening is hymn number 305. Number 305. Gracious Spirit, Dove Divine, let thy light within me shine. All my guilty fears remove. Fill me full of heaven and love. 305. Gracious Spirit, Dove Peace.
Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word to us today. We thank you for your word, that you've revealed yourself to us in your holy word. We thank you that we can know uh, the Lord God. We can know the Lord Jesus Christ. We can experience the life of God in our souls through trusting and believing and responding to your word. Oh, we thank you. And now we pray that you will be with us and stay with us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain with us until he comes again. Amen. <laughs>